Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Will the Fed keep raising rates? What the Fed will do and what the Fed should do is often hotly debated. Jeremy Siegel, for example, Professor Emeritus at Wharton, uh, said recently he thinks the Fed should stop raising rates given the current state, I should say, of the U.S. economy. There are several arguments against such an active role of the government, particularly the Fed, to influence macroeconomy. The major complaint is rather than smoothing the ups and downs of the U.S. economy, the Fed's actions could actually control tribute to those ups and downs. But what the Fed should do and what it could do are two entirely different things. We turn to Cheng Chai Sen. Cheng Chai Sen is head of investment at Provident. We find out more about his thoughts on what the U.S. Federal Reserve could do in the months ahead to truly achieve disinflation. Chai Sen, good morning. Morning, Michelle. Good to speak with you, as always. Let's take a look at the latest U.S. inflation reading that fell to its lowest annual rate in more than two years uh, at during June. The CPI, which measures inflation, increased 3% from a year ago. That's the lowest level of increase since March of 2021, and that gave reason to a lot of hope from commentators out there saying maybe this will be reason enough for the Fed to stop raising rates. First up, what do you make of the latest reading? Yeah, indeed, that's the question on everybody's minds right now, especially after all that happened in the markets in 2022. Uh, so as you mentioned, the uh, headline inflation, CPI is falling. Uh, it's fallen from uh, a high of 9.1% in June last year, right, to uh, about 3% in June uh, this year. Right. So that's a huge drop. And, but of course, uh, if you take out you know, the volatile food and energy prices, the core CPI actually uh, is uh, a bit higher. The reading is 4.8% from one year ago, and it's actually uh, up uh, 0.2% on a monthly basis. That means so from May to June, core CPI still went up 0.2%. So um, this was still positive news because it's lower than what um, the economists were estimating at about 5% from a year ago and 0.3% on a monthly basis. So we can see that inflation has come in under expectations in June, which is uh, generally a positive because we've been all concerned that inflation is going to run away. And uh, it seems that uh, the impact uh, that high interest rates from the Fed and other central banks have had is uh, taking place. Uh, but do note, I think what's it, uh, key to remember is that m- much of the drop from last month was actually essentially a technicality because mm. um, the the surge in prices the, in June 2022 dropped out of the 12-month calculation because we have moved you know, one year ahead of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, because that drop, uh, that, that huge price increase has been taken out, it doesn't mean that inflation cannot go up, you know, in the coming months. It, it really all depends on uh, the state of the economy. Yeah, but how, uh, you know, what is going to happen in the markets and uh, what, what this inflation reading means, I think we have to just bring it back to uh, economic fundamentals. Mm-hmm. So we've had, you know, a couple of different challenges uh, since this whole inflation thing became an issue. And the first was really, and I mean, to use the word <laughs> transitory, but, you know, it really, oh. uh, 
is some transitory shocks because there were issues with supply chain, a war started, right? And that uh, caused the labor, uh, uh, sorry, the energy prices to rise. And also because of the pandemic, uh, labor force had shrunk because people started staying at home. But, you know, uh, that sort of has started to go away right now. Right, because uh, gas prices, you know, they are back roughly to where they were before um, the war in uh, Ukraine started. But airfares have uh, shot up, uh, but they've sort of fallen around uh, 19%, at least in the US, uh, since, you know, they shot up uh, last year. And also, um, you know, used car prices have also started to come down in the US. So some of these short term effects have, of course, started to fade away. But the, the second issue is, of course, uh, the you know underlying economic drivers of supply, demand, mm-hmm. expectations, all, all of these things, you know, are still sort of, are always present. And uh, sort of, we, all, we all only get some clarity on really where the inflation is going once we uh, start to uh, get a very clear picture that all of these sort of uh, short-term effects have started to really go away. And then we'll know whether or not the inflation battle <laughs> has been mostly won or if there's still a long way to go. Okay, well said. Some believe the war against inflation is a long way from that victory lap. But as you say, those uh, reports that we've seen recently indicate optimism is warranted, inflation is easing, but there could be troubling undercurrents still in the economy. And I want to pick up on that. So in light of the latest inflation numbers, what do you think could pan out in terms of the Fed's interest rate hike approach for July at least, a very near term? Um, and could this news prevent a July rate hike, or is that extremely unlikely given, as you mentioned, core inflation still well above the Fed's 2% target at about 4.8%? Yeah, I think the July rate hike is still very likely to happen. I think um, even the futures are pricing that in with a very high probability that there will be some kind of uh, 25 basis point rate hike uh, Probably in July, maybe sometime in third quarter, if the Fed does delay it. But uh, yeah, that's a high likelihood that this um, rate hike is still going to happen. But after that, though, the trajectory, I think that's where uh, things get a lot murkier because if you can, if you look at the market's uh, movements and reactions to this, uh, it seems like there is expectation that the Fed will sort of slow down mm-hmm. and pause because uh, one way to think about this is looking at you know how the U.S. dollar reacts. And you know, uh, last week the U.S. dollar fell around two percent after all this lower inflation data came out because, and we know interest rates have an impact on uh, uh, FX. So. Um, investors do seem to be saying that, hey, uh, it's not likely that the Fed will be able to raise rates much higher from here. And that's why the US dollar is reacting this way. But of course, uh, we know core CPI, as we mentioned, is still at 4.8%. It's still much higher than 2%. Exactly. So uh, that that is definitely a challenge. <laughs> and uh, there might be a case for the Fed to carry on, but keeping rates high and raising rates a bit more. But I think definitely 25 basis points is on the table. I think uh, beyond that, there's going to be very uncertain. 
The Fed has hiked its policy rate by 500 basis points since March 2022. So you're echoing what we have read about as well, that financial markets have priced in about a 25-point interest rate increase uh, for the Fed's July 25th to 26th policy meeting. Cheng Chai Sun is my guest this morning in Money and Me. Uh, let's take a look at the effects of the hikes so far, Chai Sun. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of what you've seen, how they've panned out, and where you stand in terms of the repeated hikes and their impact on the economy? Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, a lot of talk about how uh, the higher interest rates have been slowing down the economy, and there's definitely a big, big concern you know, among certain economists that higher interest rates uh, will tip the U.S. economy into a recession. And of course, we all know, uh, given that it's the largest economy in the world and very globally connected, a recession in the U.S. uh, has knock-on impacts everywhere, including Singapore. But there is cause for optimism now. And in fact, uh, economists have started to get more optimistic that this widely expected recession might either not happen or it might be very, very shallow and we'd actually get that, you know, uh, much talked about, well, sorry, much hoped for soft landing that uh, has been talked about quite a bit. Uh, I think in the latest uh, Wall Street Journal survey, mm. um, the economist polls have now adjusted their uh, second quarter GDP forecast to actually growing at 1.5%. Uh, originally, they were forecasting 0.2% growth. So that's a big wow. jump. So yeah. recession expectations are actually starting to recede. Um, and then their overall forecast for 2023 is now up at 1% instead of uh, 0.5%, which was the original forecast. So, you know, essentially double the growth. And I think a large part of the reason for this increased optimism is that um, signs of inflation slowing are becoming uh, more evident. And that might allow uh, the Fed to uh, pause uh, the interest rates hikes and let the economy digest the interest rates hikes. Because, you know, typically economists always feel that um, the way to get rid of inflation, Mm -hmm. well, one way to get rid of inflation is to, you know, you have unemployment and a recession because you kill the demand, right? If you don't have demand for uh, goods and services, then prices cannot go up. Uh, so that's why there's been a huge expectation that some kind of recession will happen. But, you know, the interesting thing is uh, inflation has come down. Uh, unemployment continues to be low. So um, employment remains strong. So people still have income. Wages have uh, continued to grow. And in fact, recently, there are uh, signs now that wage growth is outpacing inflation. So, you know, for many workers, at least in the U.S., you know, their wages are improving, the inflation is slowing down. So they're all feeling okay. They're not feeling as uh, concerned about uh, their their financials. So uh, there's optimism that, you know, consumer demand will not be too dented by these higher rates and the economy can possibly, you know, have a soft landing somehow. So, so yes, there is more optimism now, and a large part, of course, because uh, the inf- the inflation battle seems to be going in the right direction. Well, great statistics you shared with us earlier from Wall Street Journal, painting a picture of just how dramatic that optimism is. So, in your opinion, inflation has not inflicted that much pain on the U.S. economy. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, all the data just points to the fact that 
uh, it's not that bad yet <laughs> because uh, if it were bad, you would see, you know, higher unemployment, you know, falling wages, stuff like that. But, you know, mm-hmm. we still see wages going up. Uh, unemployment's good. Uh, well, GDP growth has continued to be positive. And uh, I think the, high, the best indicator is uh, company uh, profits and earnings have generally remained fairly robust. So, so all that does point to the fact that it's uh, not as bad as it looks. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) okay. Let's look at what that could possibly mean for the question of whether or not the Fed can achieve disinflation without pushing the US economy into a recession. We talked about a soft landing, I think, quite inexhaustibly last year. Let me ask you for your perspective now. Is the soft landing still possible given what you're seeing? Um, Yeah, I think if we continue on this trajectory, it seems like the market is pricing in some kind of soft landing (laughs) because typically if a market is expecting a recession and especially uh, if it's going to be somewhat demand driven you would uh, generally see uh, stock prices maybe falling because they would expect company profits to fall and then therefore the market would have to reprice you know uh, the valuations but uh, what we have seen so far this year is that um, the markets are up. Uh, yes, granted, a lot of it has been driven by AI, but uh, even then, you know, a lot of the uh, more traditional uh, companies have also had their stock prices recover this year. Of course, not as much as all the tech uh, giants, but still, there has been a recovery in uh, businesses that ex- exhibit strong cash flow. Uh, so that you know, all, all these sort of show that. Uh, well, investors and the market are pricing in some kind of soft landing and that uh, there's no, uh, so far investors haven't seen a reason to trade like a recession is happening. Okay. So soft landing listeners, uh, basically slowing economic growth while avoiding a recession. That's what we mean when we refer to a soft landing. A US infl- as US inflation continues to cool, stocks appear to be riding a wave of optimism. During the past week, we saw the S&P 500 climbing above 4,500 for the first time in more than 15 months after both the CPI and PPI showed cooler than expected inflation. Uh, some bulls expect an improved economic outlook to send the S&P 500 to an all-time high, maybe even later to this year, HSBC Asset Management saying that it thinks the US will enter a downturn in the fourth quarter, so a bit of an outlier voice there, followed by a year of contraction and a European recession in 2024. A lot of differing voices. What do you make of these latest uh, optimistic signals from the US economy and what it could mean for the rest of 2023 for the US economy? Well, yeah, I think we do get sort of soft landing scenario happening, then we could see uh, continued uh, optimism in equities and, of course, even in uh, fixed income. Uh, What we have seen in the last one week is that fixed income yields fell by quite a significant amount in a week. Uh, So the 10-year yield was above 4%, just a bit above 4%, and then it has uh, dropped to around 3.8%. So that's a big move in fixed income, very positive for set prices in fixed income also. So um, all this sort of uh, does uh, tie into the narrative that if you know the US economy does 
uh, engineer some kind of soft landing, uh, we would see um, stocks continue to perform. Um, I, I wouldn't. I, I'm not sure about all-time highs, but uh, I'll be very happy if you know the markets can at least recover back to where they were at the start of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> All right, big banks seem to be showing resiliency in the second quarter of the year. Earnings season is in its second week. And just a couple of days ago, we took a look at JP Morgan, uh, Chase and Wells Fargo because uh, they were among the banks that opened their books over the weekend. Uh, JP Morgan, Chase, profits surged 67% during the last quarter. Um, we saw Wells Fargo also report better than expected profits. So the big banks seem to be raking it in. What do you think of the bank earnings results so far and does it buffer the argument that rising rates have boosted their earnings? Um, Definitely in the case of the big banks, the rising rates have helped their earnings. I think so as you mentioned, JP Morgan, Wall Street, uh, uh, sorry, JP Morgan and Wells Fargo both uh, reported results recently. So um, JP Morgan's case, you know, a lot of it came from buying First Republic Bank also Mm. uh, at a very low price. And so they improved their net interest income to a record high, about uh, $21.9 billion. And um, they are forecasting a higher net interest income of uh, $87 billion uh, for the full year. And uh, definitely their profits climbed 67%. So, you know, all that is definitely uh, very optimistic for the banks. And I think in Wells Fargo's case, they also beat their expected earnings per share. They reported $1.25 in EPS. Uh, That was against uh, $1.16 expectations and also uh, beat in revenue with uh, $20. 0.53 0.53 billion in revenue versus 20.12 billion expected. So, you know, uh, all this is optimistic for the big banks for a couple of reasons. One is because um, these bigger banks, mm-hmm. they are able to, they have a larger percentage of their deposits in uh, checking accounts. So checking accounts don't pay um, so much interest or mm. barely any interest at all. Right. And so because of that, you know, when they have uh, uh, many clients using checking accounts and they don't pay interest, but you know they can take those deposits and lend them out at a much higher rate right now, that does help the margins of the big banks. So uh, for the big banks, I think uh, they are doing pretty well and definitely they are uh, generally okay. Of course, one thing to note is that... Um, Credit losses, you know, uh, bad loans, these provisions are going up. JP Morgan uh, set aside $2.9 billion, mm. uh, for credit losses, and that's more than double of last year. And, you know, Wells Fargo is also uh, says that, you know, uh, the commercial, uh, specifically office real estate loans, you know, remain a con- remain a concern. So these are, you know, some a couple of areas where even the big banks might not be able to um, sort of uh, escape from because just how the the way the U.S. economy is uh, currently structured. Uh, however, saying that mm-hmm. uh, big banks might be doing well, but um, that doesn't mean that the small banks are out of the woods yet because uh, they. The, the challenge for smaller banks is they don't have as many checking accounts or like non-interest paying accounts. Mm-hmm. And uh, even across the big banks, uh, the interest bearing
acquiring deposits all have gone up and they've gone up uh, quite a bit from first quarter to second quarter. So, for example, um, JP Morgan uh, in first quarter, the average uh, interest bearing deposits 1.85%. It went up to 2.24% in second quarter 2023. So, that's quite a big jump in the amount of interest they have to pay out on deposits. But, you know, at least it's mitigated because they have a lot of accounts that don't pay interest. But if the big banks have to pay higher interest, it means the small banks too uh, all have to pay higher interest. And that actually can eat into their margins. So it's not entirely certain if, you know, higher interest rates does benefit all banks equally. And then, of course, the whole uh, deposit inflow and outflow challenges right. for the small banks. Right. Let's not forget First Republic, uh, which has benefited, uh, JP Morgan's benefited from the collapse of uh, Teetered because it had so much uninsured deposits and struggled with liquidity as well. Okay, so help us understand if uh, the big banks' positive results signal anything about consumer confidence in the US? I think in general, you know, banks are the, uh, overall are an indicator of, you know, how the economy is doing because if banks are doing well, you know, people are paying their loans on time, people are able to service their loans, people are, and banks are functioning, they're able to give out loans, etc. Mm-hmm. The economy is still very healthy. So I guess at this point, you know, if you see the banking system stable, if you see the banks reporting uh, good earnings, it does mean that uh, overall the shape of the economy is probably not, you know, in terrible shape. So that does bode well for, you know, the US consumer and their ability to continue to uh, uh, spend. All right, let's bring it back home uh, and look at the two indexes. The S&P 500 appears to be outperforming. The SDI still lagging today. Why is that? We know they're very different indexes. The S&P 500 has a high weightage of tech stocks. The STI, uh, really heavyweight in terms of financials and REITs. What are your views on um, the relative underperformance of the STI compared to the S&P 500? Yeah, I think the challenge really uh, of the STI is that even though, you know, Singapore is a developed economy and we are... uh, uh, definitely far, quite an advanced economy. You know, a lot of the businesses and the companies in the STI are not just focused on our domestic economy. They are you know, regional businesses, global businesses even. And But a, a lot of um, the focus of our businesses is uh, in emerging markets, mm-hmm. you know, rather than developed world economies. And uh, right now, uh, emerging market stocks have actually done not as well as the developed markets. Our all our major uh, trading partners in Southeast Asia and Singapore included, we all you know trade directly and heavily with China, and the Chinese economy has been slowing and uh, has been facing some challenges there. So this sort of has a ripple effect across um, Southeast Asia and all the businesses in Southeast Asia with uh, exposure to uh, you know. Uh, all these emerging market economies. So, like for example, you know, tourism numbers mm. have actually been lower than expected in Southeast Asia, despite you know the Chinese economy reopening. Um, Chinese tourists have not been coming in the numbers as expected. So, you know, some of all these challenges um, facing the economies in the region definitely uh, feeds into a lot of the stocks with exposure to Southeast Asian economies. 
All right. So a slower Chinese economy impacting emerging economies, helping us understand the STI and maybe the lack of movement there. Chaisen, thank you so much for that nuanced uh, explanation to all our questions this morning. We do appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Michelle. Cheng Chaisen is Head of Investment at Provident. This is Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.